Welcome to episode 163 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that we talk about Canadian industrial policy specifically. We talk about that a lot. And industrial policy in general a lot. Well, today we're going to be, we would just, I'm going to be discussing almost a case study of Canadian industrial policy with Professor Greg Mordu, who is the ArcelorMittal Chair in Advanced Manufacturing Policy at McMaster University. So welcome to the interview, Greg. Thanks for having me. Now we're going to be talking about the, the new Volkswagen, or recently announced uh, Volkswagen battery plant that's going into St. Thomas, Ontario. And you wrote a very, very interesting article about it, uh, questioning the, whether we got value or not. And we really don't know because it uh, the two ministers involved, uh, the federal and Ontario, are tight-lipped about exactly how much money is on the table. We don't know that yet. But at the same time, you end with a fascinating question was, if it's on the high end, maybe we were just better off you know, building, starting our own EV manufacturer. And I, so I'm very interested to have that discussion, particularly because the Canadian Auto Parts Association is now out touring around with its own prototype, the Arrow. So we can discuss that. Uh, but let's sure. start with it. Let's start with industrial policy. And I'm going to just last November, I interviewed uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, who is the Canadian. Uh, natural resources minister, and he was in Vancouver for a press conference. And I asked him about industrial policy, and he said it has three components in Canada. Carbon pricing, regulation, and subsidies. And what's your take on that? Is that kind of a you know standard these days? Is that modern industrial policy? Well, I mean, industrial policy can be can encompass a lot of different things, including economic policy. And I suppose if you're talking about industrial policy insofar as the uh, uh, clean energy is concerned or, uh, or or green revolution, if you will, is concerned, the, uh, the parameters that uh, Minister Wilkinson provided are just as valid as anyone else. I could argue that. I could probably argue a few other components as well, but those are as solid as uh, in, insofar as... Uh, green energy is concerned there's they're as good as any <clears throat> okay taking a look at other com countries and i mean this is particularly salient today because you know last summer the the americans unleashed the u.s inflation reduction act and i've had a chance to read a couple of speeches one by the gina uh, uh the secretary of commerce gina riomundo uh, okay. They're very explicit, very explicit about w w what they're doing. You know, they're chasing China. Basically, the Americans have, have, woke, have woken up to the fact that clean energy technology, the, that industrial revolution has begun. And oops, China's in first place by a long shot. Europe might be in second place. And the Americans don't like being in third place. And so they they want to they want to uh, use the Inflation Reduction Act and some other legislation that had big numbers tied to it to regain their uh, manufacturing and industrial position around clean energy manufacturing. What are the is, is this essential? I mean, I mean, we know the Americans don't have carbon pricing, but is is subsidies and regulations 
essentially the approach that the Americans have taken? Well, certainly, uh, certainly subsidies is the approach the Americans have taken, and and the world has changed tremendously, insofar as industrial policy is concerned, probably over the last four or five years, because there's been a reawakening in general globally that this is what most advanced economies do, is uh, is 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 push their economies through with via industrial policy, and and frankly, there's there is no better way to inspire growth in investment and jobs and and jobs in particular than the industrial policy and and so the, the world is, has has reawoken to that 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 fact but the us has uh, particularly uh, shaken itself and 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 got up and said the industri- the inflation Re- um, reduction act a bit of a misnomer but the inflation reduction act will be the main uh, vehicle that we provide to uh, to 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 push our industry forward for the for the next uh, next 5 or 8 years and so the inflation reduction act changed the parameters certainly in the US, but also have had and will have a profound impact on Canada as well. And the Volkswagen plant may be, because we don't know yet what the uh, what the uh, main tool was there insofar as industrial policy, the industrial policy approaches of the governments of Canada and, and Ontario are insofar as the the attraction of that plant to uh, to St. Thomas, Ontario, just outside right. of London. Yeah, and and we'll get into a discussion about um, the range of subsidies that might have been provided that that experience would indicate were probably uh, provided, and whether that's a, a good approach or not. But before we leave industrial policy, um, you made some, you know, you made the point that you know countries have woken to the fact that that they need industrial policy uh, to to pivot to this clean energy economy that that is emerging and i guess that raises the point that that if canada is going to do that it can't be left out of the game it, it there's none there's no you know saying look let the market take player uh, to, to, you know take care of this you, you know if private capital isn't interested in it why should we spend public dollars on it all the stuff you know from the 80s that that was used against industrial policy in the past, that's by the by, because uh, Indonesia, for example, is is using using its nickel reserves uh, to try to build a battery plant in, industry, which then they hope to attract EV manu- manufacturing. Um, other, indust- uh, other countries like uh, Turkey just rolled out its first EV. Uh, Vietnam, VinFast, their their uh, EV maker just launched in Canada. You can now buy Vietnam, EVs made in Vietnam in Canada. <clears throat> so we have to play in this sandbox or really get left behind. Would you agree or disagree? Um, it depends on on what parts of the sandbox we want to play in. If we want to, if we want to, if we want to get very specific. And, and you, you've thrown out a lot of interesting um, um, industrial policy examples right there. But the, um, the, the, I mean, Turkey is very interesting. They're launching their, uh, their, uh, their 
their industrial their main industrial policy tool insofar as the automotive industry is concerned is this new ev company called hog T-O-G-G. Isn't that a great name? Who would name their company TOG? It's not very sexy, but that's what they've called it. And eventually, I suppose the people in Turkey will forget that it's not particularly interesting and and people will buy all kinds of things with with not very interesting names that that flow through. But TOG is is really, really interesting. And I've done quite a bit of work studying that, that company. But they decided that they wanted to to bring a lot. I mean, t- Turkey was doing reasonably well as a low cost manufacturing hub in in um, in uh, in the eastern part of of, of of Europe. Or and and but they wanted to do more higher value added work because the higher value added work in the automotive industry always always flocks to the to the location of the headquarters of the primary companies and the primary companies are the original equipment manufacturers the automakers and and it's even true in canada i mean we talk about we can talk about all of the r d that happens in the canadian automotive industry and it's a story but it's not true we get we used to do about one percent of the uh, of the patents that were done in the global automotive industry as recently as 20 years ago and we've had all this discussion about our R&D focus going forward. Now we have about a half of 1%. And the numbers of, of patents that we're producing automotive related are about the same level today as they were 20 years ago. But but everybody, the rest of the world has moved on and we haven't caught up. And the reality is most of the R&D, as I said, gravitates to the headquarters of the primary companies. And even the big suppliers or tier one suppliers that we have in Canada, the Linamars, the, the Magnus, the ABC groups, most of their work, they get they get big enough and they start to decouple their R&D from their own headquarters and they and and they they establish R&D centers and do most of their R&D across the road from their OEM customers in Detroit or, or Germany or Korea or Japan, not Canada. And so Turkey, recognizing this, have, have said, let's establish our own automaker. And you say it fast and you think, wow, that's, 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 that's pretty interesting stuff. But there's a reason why these things don't happen very often. And when they do happen, they tend not to be very successful. So I'm not really advocating that this would be a good strategy for Canada because it's hard. <laughs> it's, real, it's one thing to, to design one car and build a prototype and then maybe even build the factory, but it's really hard to build the second and then to keep the, the, the pipeline going and to develop your own R&D and develop your own drivetrain and, 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 then, and then find three or 500 or 700 dealers that want to, uh, to service this single car that you had and then do it all over again. So this is an enormously complex uh, process. The auto industry is hard. Canada last had its own homegrown automaker, was sold to General Motors in 1918 when Sam McLaughlin sold out to uh, Billy Durant. So this is hard stuff. So the stuff that that Pog is doing in Turkey, that VinFast is doing in in Vietnam, Saudi, Saudi Arabia is trying to do it, Poland's trying to do it. It is not for the faint of heart, and uh, we had our own experience in New Brunswick with 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 um, 
with Malcolm Bricklin in the 1970s, and he tried really hard, and he got he got he got a few thousand vehicles made in a couple of years, and uh, he and Richard Hadfield decided to to uh, shut it down and walk away, and uh, and and that was our last experience. Let's talk about that because you mentioned in your article about you know this is risky stuff, and. When I was looking at it, or was reading it, I, I'm going, okay, so what? Lots of stuff is risky. Lots of stuff is hard. Why in Canada do we blanch and, you know, when the word risk comes up? I mean, the Americans do this. One of the, Mariana Mazzucato makes this point over and over and over again in the in the entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurial state, is the Americans spend gobs of public money on re research and development and then they de-risk they de-risk the process of that technology coming out of the lab so when you're in your pilot pro your proof of concept and in your pilot project and demonstration project and you get it to get it to commercial stage and they de-risk it until the private sector will take it over and in canada we just Every time we talk about risk, we're, oh, no, my God, we can't, we can't do anything. We can't risk public money. Fine, we'll give, we'll give the oil sands manufacturers $50 billion to subsidize their carbon capture and storage. We'll do that. But, oh, my God, don't spend any more risk because it's hard. Well, it's hard. That's anything that's good, it's worth doing is hard. And I'm sorry for going on a bit of a rant on this, but, <laughs> but, there's so much at stake. Either we're going to be hewers of wood and drawers of water, or we're going to take risk and do the hard things. Can't we, you know, can't do it's one or the other. Okay. Rant over. Well, I'll get no, you to respond. It's an interesting rant, but, but, and, and, and there are some, there's some, a degree of legitimacy to it, but I think public policy practitioners have to, their job is to say, what is the next best thing we can do with the, these funds? And so I've been criticized a little bit to say that the uh, St. Thomas battery plant could have cost us as much as $10 billion. And I can explain what, where that number comes from. Yeah, but please do that. That may, yes, please but, do. Well, but basically if, 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 if Volkswagen was putting that plant in, uh, in, in the US in the era of the Inflation Reduction Act, that plant would generate incentives over the next few years of $10 billion to $12 billion US. And so, and so I, I am not certain why that plant was placed in Ontario. It could have, you know, what the, I mean, the ministers will say it's because we have the highest quality people. And there's no question we have high quality people in Canada, but frankly, there's high quality people everywhere. And when you pay at a premium, as the automotive industry does, you get good quality people. You, they, they come to you. They may drain away from other activities, but they come to you. And then they, and then they, they say, well, it's because we have critical minerals. The critical minerals that we have are still in the ground and they're gonna be in the ground for a long time and we don't know how to get them yet. So, so and, and Volkswagen wants to build this plant and have it operational by 2027. And the reality is, if they can get those critical minerals out of the ground and, and process them in Canada, they can have them in Canada and they can send them to wherever 
at whatever point that they want. So at some point in time, you start to say, well, why were they here? Well, we must have competed with the U.S. And if we really wanted to compete with the U.S., we would have had to compete on money, and the money would have been through the inflation to an equivalency of the Inflation Reduction Act, because because there's not a lot of other things make sense. And and I know it doesn't make sense because that battery plant is probably five or seven or eight billion dollars to build. So why would you give them ten billion dollars to build it? But that is the reality of the high stakes game that the Inflation Reduction Act has brought. And that presumably is what Canada is bringing to it. And ultimately, to get to your question, why would we do that? Because if we're spending ten billion dollars, we could have built ten hospitals. And do we really want to spend? Do we really want to forego ten billion dollars for the hope that we can build some battery? batteries in St. Thomas, Ontario. Some policymakers that have decided that that's a good idea, perhaps. So we'll see where this all goes. But you made the argument that for $10 billion, Canada could have launched its own EV maker. And I mentioned uh, earlier in the interview about the Arrow, which is a prototype that's been created by the uh, Canadian Automotive Parts Association. And it's used, there are 700 plus part suppliers to the automotive industry that are located in Canada. Um, the Arrow is made up entirely of Canadian-made parts and technology. So that would be an interesting approach to developing a Canadian EV manufacturer, because if you can cobble together the the parts and other you know software and all the stuff that a, an EV requires and you can you can source it from Canadian suppliers you essentially become well you become what most OEMs are I guess which is assemblers and and maybe have a bit of a leg up on the Vinfasts and the Togs and 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 so on. Well, it's, uh, it, but who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? The uh, is the, the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association is a very good industry association, but it's not an automaker and it doesn't have that whole long depth of, of capabilities and, and access to those capabilities that we that we talked to at the start. You know, a prototype is is hard, but it's it's the first simple step in a much longer um, value chain. And and I don't know who's going to run this uh, this auto company in Canada. Magna Magna has the most depth of capabilities. I mean, they make cars in uh, in Graz, uh, Austria. They the assembly plants, so they know what they're doing. But um, at some point in time, a, a board at Magna will say, um, "Wait a minute, do we really want to make cars and compete with all those customers that we have around the world?" And have those customers wonder what we're doing, and have and run into all those kinds of conflicts of interest that we would in, that would inherently flow. This is the kind of problem that Frank Stronach met back in the in the '90s when he had this, when he had a vision of of taking over Chrysler or had a vision of building his own car. So, so this is complicated, hard stuff, and uh, and 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 good on the APMA for developing a demonstration project that can provide small um, 
suppliers and give small suppliers access to big OEMs because that is the beauty of the Project Arrow. It is, I don't think anybody associated with the APMA project thinks that that is a viable project to suddenly take to market. As, 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 as Too bad a, because I want one. It, it's, it's a pretty good looking uh, EV. I like it. It's a very interesting project. <laughs> Look, Greg, here's a question. I live in Parksville, British Columbia. So city of about 10,000 on an island off the West Coast. And of all the places to locate a small electric vehicle manufacturer, there is a plant in the industrial park of this city. And what it does is it makes it makes small electric vehicles for airports and other kinds of industrial applications. But I think it's mostly airports. You know, you see these little these, these little uh, trucks that that you know are pulling luggage uh, tr uh, carts around that sort of thing. That's what they make, and they make it in in Parksville. Why not the Lower Mainland? Why not any place other than Parksville? But here they are, for whatever reason. Um, so, Mike, here's my question: Maybe you know, Canadian a Canadian EV maker would would look at the now increasingly crowded EV uh, automaker uh, landscape and say, you know, do we want to be one of 20 or 30 or 50 out there, you know, trying to trying to break into this, this market? But so maybe there are things that we have a competitive advantage in where we could make a, an EV. And I, I'm thinking primarily uh, cold climate resource extraction. So, you know, we want to decarbonize transportation and we want to do that in forestry and farming and mining and all sorts of things that that go on in Canada six months of the year when it's cold. And maybe there's an opportunity to develop specialty vehicles that have shorter runs and where you can develop a competitive advantage because you have expertise in, in a northern, you know, manufacturing for a northern climate and what do you think of that? Is that a maybe a potentially viable strategy for Canadian industrial policy? Well, there's a, it, it, it's it's certainly viable. Um, we've uh, we've hooked ourselves, or we're in the process of hooking ourselves, insofar as the EV um, framework is is concerned, to uh, to supporting the supplier base, the traditional supplier base, and the new supplier base. The um, the uh, the challenge of supporting the new supplier base is that we have a history of uh, you can you can move technology a lot easier than you can move plants and 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 and, and production capabilities. So there's a you know there's all there are any number of small new startups that are out there that are foraging around in the uh, in the EV field. Um, frankly, most of them will be will ultimately be unsuccessful, but they're trying, and and they and they get up and they and they dust themselves off and they try again, and that's that's the beauty of 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 of, of the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit that they're bringing to it. But but eventually, what often happens with these is that uh, is that a larger company a tier one or, or tier one supplier or maybe even a, an automaker takes notice and they buy the technology and say thank you very much and we're going to implement this in wherever 
where, where our production capabilities are. We'll put it on the shelf because we don't want this uh, disrupting our own nice piece of the uh, of the economy right now. So the so this is where it's difficult. And so and so. And and in in Canada, it's particularly troublesome because our our companies are not located in Dearborn or Livonia. They are located in in. Parksville <laughs> and uh, and St. Thomas and uh, Newmarket and Barrie and places like that and and they're doing the best that they can and 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 we'll see where this goes. Well, this conversation I, I think is probably one that's been had in Canada over the last fifty years, right? This is not a this is not a new conversation about the difficulties of being a small country with a not a, a large manufacturing base trying to diversify trying to work its way up the value chain or trying to find spots in the supply chains where they can where they can play and and the difficulty of you know losing uh manufacturing losing technology to the US I mean you look at um new flyer the uh the bus maker out of Manitoba you know they they put their manufacturing in I think it was St. Cloud Minnesota uh, Green Power, which it manufactures buses, is based in Vancouver. Manufactures, I think, can open a big plant in in Arizona. And why do they do that? Well, you know, lower costs in some respects, but also they want to be close to their their customers, as opposed. So they keep they keep the head office in Canada, and maybe I guess some of the the engineers and you know designers and administrators and so on. But the you know the plants get get put somewhere somewhere else. And breaking that model, uh, I agree with you. I, it's really hard. So, you know, given your expertise in this area, is there a way to overcome those those obstacles? I think you just have to understand and recognize that they're there. And if you're an industrial policy practitioner, you have to be careful to not start. To, it, it's very important that you have your industrial policy narratives, but please don't mistake your narratives for, for, the, for the stories and the things that actually appeal to your investors. Because I told you about the things that, that, that uh, the ministers have said about why St. Thomas for Volkswagen. It's about our critical minerals. It's about our clean energy. It's about our access to, to the high quality people. And all of those things are good stories but it is, it defies logic to people that understand how the industry operates to believe that those are the reasons why Volkswagen put that plant there. Because I mean, the battery plants that are around North America, as an example, are all in places where a big chunk of their electricity comes from, from gas and coal. <laughs> and so it's a nice story, but don't let your story detract from what is actually appealing to the cut to your customers so in this case we don't know what happened in, in volkswagen yet they said you know it, it, with volkswagen yet they've said the government our governments have said trust us and i guess we have no choice but to trust them but it's it could be a lot of money uh, i've had the opportunity to interview uh dr bentley allen who's a uh, specializes in industrial policy and he teaches at Johns Hopkins uh, down in the States and also is a research director for the Transition Accelerator based here in Canada. And he, he makes the point that 
the Canada because we, we, we can't play in every sandbox. So we have to pick our sandboxes. We have to be strategic about this. And one of the, you know, if we're talking about the new EV uh, supply chains, and so in batteries, uh, if you look at uh, crit not just critical minerals, but the refining and processing of those critical minerals, minerals into battery metals, you know, China controls almost 80% of, of the that capacity. So you, you, can, you, can, you can mine or, or extract lithium uh, in Alberta all you want, but you probably have to send it to China to get to get processed and then and then you have to bring it back. So I guess B Bentley's uh, argument would be that there's a as we're developing the critical minerals uh, uh, sector, uh, somebody has to turn that those minerals into into battery metals. And why not Canada? Mm -hmm. I mean, we we have we have mining companies. We have you know that 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 own smelters and refineries and and so on. We know how to do this stuff, and yeah, we know how to do that stuff. And we have some of the best. Uh, you know, we we under, we know how to to do that stuff. We're not quite sure how to get all of that stuff yet, but we know how to do that stuff, and we certainly know how to finance it, which is a which is a unique skill in and of itself. And so we have a lot of those capabilities, and so so he's he's absolutely right. That is uh, is 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 one area that we need to to focus on. And I think that there's lots, and there are, there is a lot of focus on that right now. And there's no question of that. The um, I keep coming back to this darn battery plant because that's what prompted this conversation in in in, in the sure. first place. But the reality is that would happen and could happen in Canada, whether Volkswagen puts a, puts, puts a battery plant in St. Thomas or LG Stellantis puts one in Windsor, all of that stuff happens because there's this mad scramble for, for, for minerals. There's this mad scramble for the, for, for where the minerals get processed and, and to get it in their value chains. That's what, that's where Canada's capabilities, um, true capabilities reside and nobody can, um, can debate that. That's where we should be focusing. And we're going to get that if we do it right, and even if we don't get the 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 end game right on terms of where the batteries get made, we're going to get that part anyways because we have that capability when nobody else does. The uh, this is, uh, observation comes out of my interviews with uh, with Bentley as well, uh, and that is that. So let's say that you take well back up a bit. The old style industrial policy that we used to see prior to 1980 was kind of a it was pick a national champion and then protect them with tariffs and, and other kinds of policies until they they got big enough that they could compete on their own globally and then you you let them out of the out of the pen and and hope that they that they survive and you know we've had some of that like nortel it didn't work <laughs> didn't work out all that great but nevertheless we so we've tried it uh but it has worked in in other places um but the new modern or so modern uh, industrial policy is all about deciding strategically where you want to where you want to play in supply chains it's it you know the the OEM may be uh the center of a cluster maybe the hub but then radiating out from that is all these supply chains that there's and we've talked about some so the, the critical minerals the battery metals there's two um, but there are plenty of others, and one of them. I mean, we have we have some capacity. Jeff Dahl at, at um, uh, Dalhousie, you know, he's running one of Tesla's battery uh, research. 
big chunk of it up there. So we have we do have expertise there. We have expertise in in other places like Vancouver. Nano One has got you know some battery expertise. So yeah. would um, you suggest that maybe the better strategy is is to be strategic and and go through these supply chains, map them out, and then say, okay, we, we were competitive here, competitive there, competitive here. Now let's work with the uh, well, let's say if it if if it was critical minerals and and battery metal processing, we're going to go talk to Alberta's got all that stuff. The federal government's going to get together with the Alberta government. They got a strategy. They know exi- exactly where in that supply chain they want to play and where they're going to put money and what kind of support they're going to provide. You know, policy framework, all of that. And that's a much better approach than we're going to create a, a national EV OEM and and hope for the best what 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 uh, your take on that well yeah what you're, what you're advocating for and and, and, I, and it makes perfect sense is to focus on on the sectors and to support the sectors and the growth in that sector rather than pick the winning company or the, or the, or or the, the the exact geographic location where we're going to do that and 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 that seems to be the 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 approach that the government of Canada has taken with their critical mineral strategy, and I think it's the right one. And 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 they don't always get this right, but that that's the, what I believe what they're doing is the right one. If you look back forty years ago, and you looked at the the industrial policies um, that were put in put, that were used at that time, it was a completely different environment, and the in bus and the industrial policy tools. We're, we're much, much broader. Frankly, all we have now is, is carrots. <laughs> right. And if you do this, and if, I, and, if I, and if I throw enough money at you and you can't pick up anymore, is that when we stop? I mean, that, that, that's, that's an industrial policy. It might not be a good one, and a lot of people don't agree with it, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but these carrots are is the industrial policy tools that we have now. Back in the days of Ed Lumley, and, and, and you know, uh, Canada's industry minister in the 1980s, he had sticks, and he said, "If you don't, you know," and see, so he did things that said, "If you don't invest in this country, you won't sell in this country. If you don't invest in this country, I will make it very difficult for you to get your your cars off the boats at the Fraser Wharves." In, 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 <laughs> and 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 Will and well, well. We, we have to inspect all these cars to make sure that they're safe. We'll inspect every single one of them. And so he had all of these tools. And so he had some carrots and he had sticks. And over the years, through various, through the WTO, through the, the first Canada USFTA, through the through the, the North American Free Trade Agreement, we've, we've kind of negotiated all of those sticks away. And that ties the hands of, of our industry ministers. And so all they have left are these carrots. And so I'm critical of saying you might have you might have spent $10 billion on a carrot, but they don't have a lot of other carrots left. And so back to your point right. is pick sectors and, and nurture them. And 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 don't become beholden of your stories because your stories may be nice and convenient to say, but maybe people don't the people that are investing don't really care. Greg, I, I have to tell you, the idea of the ener- energy minister as a thug uh, working working over uh, uh, companies looking to invest, it, it kind of appeals oh. to me. You know? 
Well, I kind of like that. Know, I'm okay and, with that. And, you know, and maybe, and and maybe, I mean, I am not the apologist for Donald Trump, but 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 he did some of this kind of thug stuff in in the early days of his uh, tenancy in the uh, White House and the White House rather, and uh, and and some of it actually worked. And he said, "WTO? What's that?" You know, <laughs> and and I'm not advocating that, but but we but we do in Canada to our credit have a history of being the uh, the Boy Scouts on uh, adhering to our, our 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 criteria and our expectations of those international obligations. Let's finish up our conversation with a discussion about federal pro uh, provincial relationships within this context. Because the uh, Wilkinson, as as natural resource minister, is convening uh, regional roundtables uh, on the energy and natural resources, and and the idea is, I I guess we don't know because they're not these aren't trans it's not a transparent process. I've asked the minister's office if I could, you know, cover these, and they go, no, Markham, this is not, you know, no, this is private conversations. Okay, fine, uh, whatever. Sooner or later, they'll have a press conference and I'll ask my questions then. But the uh, the point here is that that the, the government, the, the, the provincial governments have to play that the federal government can't do it all by themselves. And in particular, if we're talking about things like critical minerals, because those come under the jurisdiction mostly of the of the provinces. And so that depends then on the willingness of the provincial government of the day to cooperate with the federal government of the day. And we're not seeing a whole lot of that. Now, mm -hmm. uh, there are governments, you know, like BC and Ontario and Quebec, for instance, that have agreed to, uh, you know, participate in these roundtables. And the roundtable will not be government to government. I mean, this is, a you know, stakeholders and business and labor and all sorts of groups, First Nations you know, will all be at this at this table to work out this, this these strategies. Alberta, Alberta won't. Alberta is holding out; it, it's refusing to to join one of these. And because we do, you know, we're energy reporters, so we do a lot of work in Alberta. It's it's infuriating to see, on the one hand, the government beating up on the Alberta government beating up on the federal government all the time, and then refusing to play when there's an opportunity to get to gain benefits by having a working relationship with the senior government. I mean, this is some of the silliness that in, you know, is, it underlies the policymaking process in, in Canada when we try to get our act together to take advantage of these economic opportunities. What's your take on that? Well, you know, I'm not, I don't profess to, to be an expert in energy policy. My, area of expertise is industrial policy in general, but more to the point industrial policy, it applies to the automotive industry. And I played this on both sides of the, on, on all sides of the coin. I've done this as, a, I'm doing this as an academic now. I've been in government and I've been in, 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 I've worked for automakers. And I can tell you in terms of the investment attraction process, particularly to attraction process to investors from outside of Canada, they like to see the, the various levels of government supporting each other and supporting the company because that provides them with a, a source of comfort about the stability of, of the relationship and the stability of, the, of, of, of government. 
and the long, the hopefully long-term commitment to the success of the firm. And so in, in, in the automotive industry, in, in the, 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 the history in, to, in terms of support, whether it's for a brand new Greenfield plant or whether it's the uh, new models on, on the cycle thing, to see Ontario and the government of Canada in there in lockstep 50-50 on an incentive package is an enormously powerful tool, tool and message of stability and, and, and commitment that is very strong. And you don't see that everywhere else. You don't necessarily see that uniformly in the US. You don't see it in Mexico. And, and it, it's, a, it's a bit of a scatter a throat. So that is a one thing that is, even if we're not even on everything else, but if we can, if we demonstrate that, they, the notion is we're here for 30, 40, 50 years, and we need that level of stability going forward. And they like that. That's a very interesting observation. And I will, I'll bet you a donut that uh, it applies to other sectors of the economy too. And energy being a, energy being a big one. I think that's a, you can apply that as a blanket principle to, to uh, most industrial policy, economic policy. So, well, great. Mm -hmm. This has been fascinating. I, I'm, I really appreciate your insights and um Energy media has been doing energy transition journalism for a long, long time. And in 2021, I'm fond of quoting, you know, this, the International Energy Agency came out and said, there's an emerging clean energy economy emerging globally. This is a big deal. We're seeing renewables. We're seeing hydrogen. We're seeing all of these things. Then last year, well, actually it was in, in January, it came out with the tech, uh, technology perspectives 2022. And it said... Now that because of energy security issues caused by Russia and and uh, just the acceleration of the energy transition, now we have to figure out how to make all this stuff. We have to figure out how to make turbine wind turbines and solar panels and electric vehicles and batteries. We have and we have to scale it up in a hurry and all of that. So this is a maybe once in a hundred years kind of opportunity, you know, for a country like Canada. And it's really important that we get it right and that we not get left behind because opportunities don't come along that very often. So I think the kind of ideas that you're talking about are very important and we need to A, integrate them more into policy and B, Canadians need to know about them. And when we have conversations around energy or manufacturing or the automotive sector, that sort of thing, we have to keep these in mind. So thank you very much for this. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.